0: From Fresh Air Studios in Plymouth, this is In Conversation With, the podcast from Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce. With special guests, Paul Winterton from Langage Farm.
1: He was a strong Liverpool guy and his claim to fame was that he was in a pub drinking with John Lennon one day and he had this disagreement with him and ended up in, say, an altercation with John Lennon
2: and Kate Dowsett from Peace
0: and Coffee.
2: I'd been at sea for most of my 20s and I thought running a business could be the main story of my 30s and I wasn't quite sure which direction I was going to take it in.
3: Hello there, I'm Stuart Elford, Chief Executive of Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce, with another in our series of In Conversation With podcasts. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Paul Winston, who's Managing Director of Language Farm.
1: Good afternoon, Stuart.
3: Have I got the title right? You are Managing Director? Yes, you have, have yeah. And I've got to ask you a really silly question to start with, but how did a Scouser end up selling ice cream in Devon? <laughs> it's a long story. My brother used to be in the Navy
1: many years ago, and he came down here around about 35 years ago on holiday, and he said to me, there's a job going in the dairy industry, very interested, and I was very much into sport and everything else at the time. And at a tender age of around about 19, I was actually managing a sports shop. So it evolved from there, so I came on holiday, liked it, so I applied for the job, and then nothing happened for two years, and then I had a phone call. A guy said to me, we've got a job going. Would you like to come in and have a look at what we've got to offer? And I found a real, it sounds really strange this but a love of making products from milk and a scientific fascination. But the first job I had was actually stacking milk in a cold room around about half past four in the morning, oh, so great. four degrees. And that didn't put you off? <laughs> no, not really, because I was actually married at 19, And we're still married to the same person now, which is, I don't know how that's (laughs) managed. So we're ripping (laughs) Yeah. So we had three daughters, which is fantastic, and I'm really proud of that fact. But my inspiration was them, really, or my daughter, which we had at the time. So there it was, half past four in the morning, and three degrees, and these packets of milk were coming down a conveyor belt, and I was freezing, as you can imagine, and thought, well, I need to get out of this and be the guy who's sending the milk down on this conveyor belt. And so that inspired me, really. So obviously career progression was tough, but I ended up managing that business as a whole, as a GM, mm. over a long period of time. And I was really proud of that achievement. And then I was headhunted into another job, been headhunted twice, one into the bakery industry. And then uh, from there, a startup dairy headhunted me back into dairy. Mm. That didn't work out for me. I was clashing with their managing director at the time because I'm quite sort of strong with the <laughs> viewpoints and things. And so then went to work for Langage Farm I've been there for 20 years.
3: Yeah, I saw that it had been 20 years. You must have seen a lot of change over that last 20 years.
1: Without a doubt yeah, definitely. I think the main thing in the industry itself, you know, I can remember as a young boy going back to that, where you you know, be working late on the machinery and things, and you are be eating your dinner as running the machine. But in this day and age, it's totally changed. So the hygiene practices that you have to go through, quite rightly so, to be honest, are mm. quite immense and quite detailed. So, yeah, massive changes. Seeing the cycles within the dairy industry as well, so lots of upset from farmer's point of view. And I think that's coming full circle now. It's still, obviously, tough times for farms. But I think the most important thing is seen a change in attitudes towards people and dairy goods in general, really. For the better, my ad.
3: Yeah. Well, I think COVID has taught us a lot of things. And one of the things is, I think it's focused our minds on what's important and who's important. You know, jobs we thought were important have turned out not to be, but actually the person that provides you milk is pretty blooming important. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You know, I've seen the both sides of COVID.
1: You know, I've got two daughters who are nurses. They've both been on front line. My wife works for the NHS. And seeing them come home when there's been real sort of trauma within their day, Mm. and it puts it into perspective with me, you know, so I get a bit stressed out when we don't get yogurts to the likes of Marks and Spencers or whatever. And I come home and think, you know, my daughter's just been saving someone's life, or Mm. unfortunately not. So it does put things into perspective when you have that barometer to
3: work by, really. I think you, from what I know of you, we don't know each other very well, but what I know of you, you've always had a bit of a focus on the important things. I think I met you at a sporting dinner yeah. When I was chair of St Luke's and you'd sponsored St Luke's as language, I just came up to say hello. And yeah. following you since, you've done quite a few things for charity. You're quite a supporter of the local community. Yeah. And you did a bike ride not that long ago, did you? We
1: did, yeah. You know, ailments and all, so warts and all session today. So myself and wife have been through real sort of health experiences. So I remember going back about nine years ago, I didn't have a heart attack, but I had a double heart bypass. And my main left ventricle to my heart was 95% blocked. And the consultant said to me, if he would have had a heart attack, he would have been dead. So that was a bit of an eye-opener. And I could take all of that. So ironically, my daughter, who is one of the senior nurses at Derriford, was working on the cardiac ward, or is now working on the cardiac ward. And that was a strange experience. It was a heredity thing, so it was always going to happen, but it was just a time bomb waiting to go Mm. off. And then you do a lot of soul-searching as a result of that. So it took some time out of work, about three, four months out of work, and I could take that and then my wife ended up developing breast cancer I'm and um, she got over that and we were really pleased and then I developed a tumour in my bone and I was thinking just leave me alone for five minutes and yeah. <laughs> put somebody else in situ but we got over that and one of the things we both had a conversation about is realising how lucky we were really rather than moping around so we decided to support Jeremiah's journey at the time and We was in a meeting and we were talking about a London to Paris bike ride and we thought, well, we'll give that a go. Mm. And there's me naively thinking, I'll just get the mountain bike out the garage and, (laughs) you know, off we go. But it was quite an extensive training programme and we both did it. And, you know, when you get those type of things in life, you have a decision to make. Either you, you know, go downhill or feel sorry for yourself or you get on and dust yourself off and move Mm. on and realistically we chose the latter and glad that we did and we ended up cycling about 350 miles on that day mm. but we literally a day. sorry over five days I was <laughs> sorry.
3: <gonna> say, blimey, <laughs> you were going a pace we were
1: doing about 80 to 90 miles a day That's but we, significant. We, we did about six months worth of training mm. and it was enjoyable but it was hard you know if people say to me would you do it again then the answer is really not no. because it was quite a challenge but Really yeah. rewarding at
3: the end of it, which was nice. And you're raising money for Jeremiah's journey?
1: Yeah, we raised about, I think in total it was about four or five grand in mm, the end. Well so done. we were really pleased. And we still got a relationship with local charities and we're now looking at Children's Hospice Southwest. Great charity, yeah. But I think in the current crisis, their revenue streams have dried up. Yeah. You know, our sport and dinners, which is one of the main drivers for that, has not happened. So we've done smaller things behind the scenes, but it's nowhere near as involved as what it once was a couple of years ago.
3: Well, I think, funnily enough, I did the jail and bail for Children's Hospice yeah. Southwest back in about February, I think it was just before That's right. this all hit. In fact, I remember whilst trying to raise money for Children's Hospice in this jail and bail event, having all these text messages and emails arriving about, you know, potential lockdown and thinking, you know, where am I supposed to be? Where was my head in this? And I was just slightly shy of Target and I sent a text message to about three or four people in my phone and you were one of them saying... I don't think I'm going to hit my target. Yeah. Can you help? And bless you, you made a donation that pushed me over my target. Yeah. I, I'm not sure whether it was to keep me in or bail me out, <laughs> but thank you anyway. Definitely keep you in. Yeah, yeah, Definitely you. Yeah, <laughs> no, I do appreciate it. It's great. And you've done so much for those sort of charities. It really is appreciated because that sector is struggling. It's
1: a though. tough one, isn't it? It really mm-hmm. is, you know, and people often say you do it as a brand association. Well, we don't. We do it because we care. Yeah. You know, and that's the main thing because there's lots of different charities over Plymouth that are well deserved. And it's difficult to always find out which one to choose, you know. And you say about St Luke's, if I was ever unfortunately in that situation, that would be one of the places I would like to go. Because yeah. I think it's such a lovely place and lovely people in there. And we've been round there. It's just incredible, the service that we have. I do get frustrated with some red tape around things like that from time to time. There's a friend of mine only yesterday who runs a food bank out of Ivybridge. And, you know, the authorities were challenging that because of the HACCP or food controls of uh-huh. distributing meat. And I find that really poor. You know, I want the authorities to obviously conduct their checks. Of course you yeah. do, because you don't want to make anything unsafe. But they should support charities like that rather than make it difficult for them. So we've done that for them yesterday and we've set out all the parameters that they need to do. But there's people like that, that are pretty much unsung heroes in mm. covid situation as it is at the minute but there's certain people that really annoy me that get in the way of things like that block
3: it yeah i always think i mean, government i think the role of government actually isn't to govern i think it should be to facilitate yeah absolutely. To, to make things happen to make it easier yeah. for people not to stand in the way as a gatekeeper they yeah, should be the couldn't agree more how do we make this happen
1: yeah of course yeah. And, you know where i've come from the shop floor as depicted and as you get to, let's say, the higher echelons of senior management, then there's more people that are willing to obstruct things. I think rather than the fine and few which are, you know, cohesive and moving things forward and trying to make things happen for people.
3: So, where did you learn that from? I mean, you were at the bottom of that conveyor belt with milk cartons coming down at you. Where did you learn to facilitate and empower and nurture? Have you got business heroes? Is there someone you really admire? Not
1: really. I've read all the usual books, you know, the Richard Branson and the Alan Sugar and everything else, and. You know, I don't want to swear out of there, but some of it is a little baloney, let's just say. Mm-hmm. But I know it sounds, again, a bit of a cliche, but I was brought up on a council estate in Liverpool in a single-parent family. I was youngest of nine. And my inspiration was my mother, you know, looking at how she would battle for us as a young family and make sure that we were all, you know, on the right side of the law. And that, believe you and me, me, is tough growing up in Liverpool when you're from a single-parent family. And when I look back at what she did, she dedicated our life to make sure we had a really good future. And out of, you know, I've lost one of my brothers now, but out of, you know, the six brothers that we were one's in South Africa now, runs his own cryogenics business and does work for the South African government on, like, building satellites and things. The three of us are CO or MDs for, you know, various companies around the world, one medical, one design and me. Mm. And then my sisters have went into higher education, so one is a, a professor at Liverpool University. And the others have gone into teaching as well. So we've all done pretty well, really as yeah. a family.
3: I get it. My mum brought me and my brother up. And, you know, times were tough. She came down to Plymouth, took three jobs just to be able to yeah. pay for a food and a roof over our head. And my brother's ended up as a consultant radiologist who's now treasurer of the Royal College and doing incredibly well with his own business as well. And I've sort of done OK.
0: Still to come... Kate Dowsett from Peace &
3: Coffee.
2: Whilst the world keeps changing, whilst people's requirements keep changing, there never will be an end goal. We've just got to keep adapting.
0: Follow the Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce on Twitter at chamber underscore Devon and search for us on LinkedIn. Make sure you don't miss out on future episodes. Hit subscribe now.
3: Mums are unsung heroes, aren't they? That's the toughest job in the world. And I think they don't realise that at the time. You know, right. I can
1: remember being 14 or 15 on the streets of Liverpool playing football and things, and then 10 o'clock at night she'd come hunting for me and, you know, grab me by the scruff of my neck and get me inside. And it's not because, you know, anything good other than that, she cares. Mm. So she's worried about it. She's dedicated her life. She died at 90, and it was a nice experience because she was all around the bed when she did yeah. that. And the other one is my father-in-law, who's recently passed away of cancer as well, uh, at the age of 72. And he was a strong... Liverpool guy you know and his claim to fame was that he was in a pub drinking with John Lennon one day and when John Lennon was performing in a a small pub in Liverpool called the Cobden and he had a disagreement with him and ended up let's say an altercation with John Lennon really? and so he said to me afterwards but at least I was standing and he wasn't so that's his claim to fame.
3: Uh, uh, yeah, I think John Lennon was a pacifist though I think beating a pacifist wasn't perhaps that hard yeah. of a job but, but yeah.
1: He was another one a raw guy who brought up his family and was often during his life ostracised by his family about his care for his children being so dedicated and really? um, yeah and it was strange and it's only when you get older you realise that, that's out of love, yeah. you know, nothing different.
3: Wow, what a time you've had. That's amazing. So looking at Langage Farm, I looked on the website. I've got to be honest, I didn't know what it was, but you're going to have to tell me about it. You're the first UK carbon neutral dairy with an anaerobic digester facility.
1: Yeah, an anaerobic digester is a power station run on food waste. So we have what we call a unique food loop. So we send dairy products to our customers around the southwest And then we then have an agreement with the company that collects the food waste from that. It comes back into the facility and then we treat that, we pasteurise it. And it's almost like a yoga process, if you like. We add live bacteria cultures to it it gives off methane gas and then we use that methane gas to drive electric engines which powers the farm and the factory. So from a sustainability point of view we're quite unique within that sort of branch really and we've now working very closely with the likes of Marks and Spencers and they have a sustainable plan called Plan A and we're also investigating things like methane gas reduction in farmyard animals so gas expulsion so we're looking at that we've got a project running now trying to create animal feed from seaweed which is a problem around the Plymouth area. Mm -hmm. And then if we can produce animal feed from that seaweed, we've proven that it will reduce uh, methane expulsion from farmyard animals by up to 95%. Wow. So it's not just the dairy, you know. And this is one of the things about Plymouth and Plymouth in general. Within Plymouth, there is some really world experts on what we do. And lots of people within Plymouth don't realise that. And I mean at all different levels. You know, there's another project I'm working on at a company in Cornwall, which is called a brand due to come out now, which is called the Birds and the Bees. So key facts about sustainable aspects of manufacturing, which is looking at bee conservation. And it was an astonishing fact to think of the bees population was extinct and the human race would die off in about seven or eight years or something like that so it's incredible incredible. and you look at the ecosystems and you know that type of thing within food manufacturing and what I can say about language we're pushing the boundaries of innovation to look beneath the surface on those type of things so it's quite exciting really.
3: I'm so pleased you said that because I think there's so much world class going on in this region that we don't even know about. I was privileged enough in the space of a couple of weeks to have a tour of Plymouth Marine Laboratories Mm -hmm. and the brain tumour research facilities up at Derrif hospital and both times i was taken by the number of people from all over the world that were working there and they all gave the same answer when i said what are you doing here and they said because this is where it's happening this is world class what's going on and we don't kind of shout about it we don't celebrate it no you're right
1: and i'm in at all levels you know one of the things i want to do i'm not a fan of hierarchy so i have five managers that we work with in the factory and the best in the world and i keep saying that you know mm-hmm. nationally and on a global basis they are the best in the world and it's about what we do so no titles let's sit down and have a chat about how we can work problems out mm-hmm. and your problems are different to their problems but we all have problems mm-hmm. you know but at the end of the day if we walk out doing what we can then my legacy would be to make sure that I make your life easier. Yeah. And if everybody has that attitude, then you'll get through those problems.
3: What a fantastic legacy and management approach. You know, I think that's, you're absolutely right. I came from a, I think, you know, I was a police officer for many years and it was this sort of uniform disciplined hierarchy. And I assume that's what leadership was about. But actually I've subscribed to the Royal Navy model where there's a difference between leadership, management and command. Yeah, and command is just the authority that comes with the rank. You have the power to do things. Um, you management which is the use of resources well anyone can do that whether they do it well or badly but leadership is Mm. about bringing people with you on a journey and i think that's a really powerful thing to remember Mm.
1: it's not about leading it's how you lead isn't it and it's easy to lead but more difficult to get people to follow
3: well you must be quite proud though of you know 20 years at language and you've taken it from where it was to now what is a certainly a nationally and possibly even internationally recognized brand you must be really proud of that
1: i am yeah when we look back you know i've got a really let's say different relationship with james harvey the owner so we really do argue <laughs> and I don't mean just professionally I would say unprofessionally yeah. as well from time to time and you can I think that has to be the basis of the relationship because he's allowed that environment to happen as I have and we don't agree but we do agree on lots of things mm. but having that debate where we can thrash it out with you know sometimes we've got really into the core of the individual both him and me and then we shut ourselves away. But we both want the same things, but we come at it from different angles. And I think that is a good way to be at that level where we can challenge each other because without challenge, you'll never do things differently. And I think that is something that has allowed us to grow. You know, over the last say 18 months, we've had our biggest growth period ever. And we're planning to grow even further next year, which is good news.
3: Yeah, and so tell me where you are now. I mean, you're in a lot of the major supermarkets. Yeah.
1: We work nationally with Aldi. Mm-hmm. Lidl, we're just working on a programme there. We're doing a range review with Aldi at this moment in time. Marks and Spencers, we're working with. We've been working there for about the last 18 months, and we do the language branding to Morrisons and Waitrose and we've had it into Sainsbury's and everywhere else so pretty much all of the key players in the supermarkets and then we're proud of the local business as well Mm. so the national business is quite difficult because that can come and go but what we've tried to do now is try and put more foundation stones into those type of contracts so we're looking at two or three years. The lockdown started in March last year but we've used that quite well so we've done lots of research and development on different products so we've just launched the chocolate flavored cream for marks and spencers you've seen all the publicity surrounding the strawberry clotted cream that we did and Mm -hmm. vanilla so we've got three or four more flavors coming out next year and the debate that we had about you know clotted cream on top and devon versus cornwall (laughs) which was quite let's say volatile yeah we've now produced the cream which is a strawberry clotted cream flavor infused and it went you only have to have one layer one layer yeah so we solved the (laughs) age-old debate of jam first or second and it really worked well because we got lots of publicity out of it we've had dawn french putting her two penneth in so Marks and spencer's got behind it but what it's allowed us to do during lockdown is focus on what we're good at which is the scientific knowledge behind the dairy products that we have and looking at brexit where we are at the moment one of the biggest risks is where the sort of Import exports so or the total trade within dairy is going to be within milk, mm-hmm. and we've just about to launch with Aldi UK again in a thousand stores, 2nd of January, a vegan yogurt. All right, so that is unbelievably good. And the vegan market is growing globally uh, around about 19% year on year, so we've actually added that strain to our business as well, just looking at potential pitfalls over the next 18 months or so from a dairy point of view as well
3: so you're i mean leading the dairy industry but you're leading in scientific ways as well and as we were saying there's a lot of that going on in devon that people don't know about what do you think the opportunities are for devon now and for your business obviously but for our region i think it's
1: really vast you know if you look at the resource that we have you know we've worked with plymouth university and it's an attitude sort of to want to do that but once you get beneath that surface the Plymouth University can offer you all the scientific data that you need you just need to be able to apply that within the manufacturing environment that you're in so we was using the electron microscope department for example to analyze yogurts in the marketplace and you think well how boring is that but it's not it's quite incredibly interesting so you're looking at different fat structures cell structures protein available water and by analyzing the yogurts in the marketplace we can look at the faults that exist within manufacturing And we had a really good team at Plymouth University that was showing us how to use this equipment. And then what allowed us to do is to go into manufacturing and revise some of the faults that was existing within the marketplace that the normal sort of Joe public wouldn't understand. And that's why we ended up getting a contract, which is worth four million quid year on year, which is still developing now. So the opportunities within Devon and for our business are huge. I think we've still got to get over the barrier of speaking to each other, talking to each other. I think that's the biggest hurdle that I see. But if you have a cohesive group of people which can invigorate that conversation, then I think the boundaries for Devon are endless.
3: That's brilliant to because that's what we're trying to do. So as uh, Chief Executive of Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce, I've helped form British Chambers of Commerce Southwest, so we're all joined up. As Devon and Plymouth Chamber, we've just signed a partnership agreement with Food Drink Devon, which I know you've been involved with mm. in the past, and it is trying to bring it together. You mentioned University of Plymouth, they're a patron of the chamber, and it's really exciting to work with them. I think when we come together, there's so much we can do together, and so many opportunities for this region yeah definitely like i said before there's so many experts in their fields within
1: the devon area it's just immense and all we need to do is maybe market devon in a better way in different arenas you know so i think with brexit now gives us an opportunity to do it on an international basis if we can get the support from the political arena to be able to get the funds to be able to do it there's lots of micro businesses around devon which are just fantastic people you know there's a baker that we use within the devon area and we're trying to use him now as a small family business for all the products that are going into development for marks and spencers so You know, Marks and Spencer's come to us, by the way. We didn't go to them. So the legacy of what we do is right there for people to see. So that situation tells us that we're good at what we do. And what I would really like to do is procure locally as much as possible to grow those businesses on the back of ours as well. So our turnover last year around about four, four and a half million. This year, probably going to be closer to eight. And so for the next two years, I can see us hitting 10 to 15 million quite easily.
3: Well, that's brilliant. I mean, congratulations. Great to see a... Devon brand on the world stage. Thank you for sharing your time with us. It's been great to see you again and really appreciate your company. Paul Winterton, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: And now, Chambermaid, introducing business owners from across the Southwest.
3: Hello there and welcome back to part two of our Chamber podcast. In conversation with, this second part is Chamber Made, which is where we talk to various members about their businesses. And actually, it might be quite pertinent title for our next guest. So I'm joined by Kate Dowsett, who I first met when she was Peace and Coffee. But Kate, now you are also, the Dartmoor Cleaning Company and the Laundry Cupboard. Welcome.
2: Thank you very much,
3: Stuart. You are a serial entrepreneur.
2: You could say that, or you could just say I get bored very easily and need to put my toes in some different puddles of water now and again.
3: And I guess also with Peace & Coffee, which a fabulous business, by the way, and does the best flapjacks in the world, which, as you can see, I've partaken of far too much, you've had to pivot because of the current situation, I guess.
2: Well, yes, but we actually set up the Dartmoor Cleaning Company about a month after Peace & Coffee. Peace and Coffee has predominantly been based in Plymouth, which is probably why you're more aware of that. The Dartmoor Cleaning Company has grown steadily over the last couple of years, but has obviously, by the name, been predominantly on Dartmoor, helping private, corporate and holiday lets. So, yes, we've certainly shifted our focus over the last year during the pandemic. What made
3: you start this business? Do you remember that moment where you thought, I'm going to actually have my own business because you're ex-Navy aren't you?
2: I am and the idea of owning and operating a business had always appealed to me but you're right I left the Navy in 2017 and you have to give 12 months notice before you leave so it gives you far too much time to think about what you're going to do when you actually do make that jump. I think I bounced between various career prospects which included teaching, working in a bank and driving a train so I eventually used my resettlement time to create the backbones of a business plan which meant that when I did leave I was able to jumped straight into making coffee for my little Piaggio up at Firmworthy Reservoir in Dartmoor. And that was three and a half years ago. So it's been quite the journey since then.
3: Well, I was going to say quite a journey, but quite an explosive expansion because you've got more than just a little Piaggio now.
2: Absolutely. I mean, back then I was just looking for a new challenge, the opportunity to learn again. And I figured if it was going to be at the bottom of a career structure, it might as well be my own and it could be the master of my own sort of promotion signal. I've been at sea for most of my twenties and I thought running a business could be the main story of my thirties and I wasn't quite sure which direction I was going to take it in. But obviously that first month of actually standing in front of a Piaggio and desperately wanting people just to come along and buy your coffee, it was absolutely exhausting. I was learning on the job and making it up as I was going along, and never quite sure if I was doing the right thing and nobody was there to tell me how to do it better. So it was completely at odds with the two years training. I'd had just learning how to drive a warship where you're coached every step of the way. And I remember my first networking event where there was an overwhelming sense of imposter syndrome and I felt like the little girl in the corner of the room who should just be making the coffee. I didn't have any experience to draw upon and talk about and I was so swept up in nerves I could never see the small wins. So yeah they were the early days when I was just stood on the middle of Dartmoor but that was only ever going to be a seasonal occupation and in fact then you could probably almost call it a hobby. So I started just pimping out the Piaggio for a few corporate events or coffee mornings that sort of thing but it was never enough to make ends meet. I took on some domestic cleaning work through an agency and I was with them for about a month before I looked at their business model and realised I could probably do it a little better. So I bounced the idea off a really interesting chap who I was cleaning for at the time. He volunteered and taught business studies to the inmates at Prince Town Prison and he gave me the little push I needed. So that started in October 2017 after I'd just set up Peace and Coffee in August 2017. But then in January 2018, so only a few months later, Peace and coffee took a surprising U-turn and ABP, Associated British Ports, down at Millbay Dock, needed a cafe facility post-security for all the Brittany ferry departures. So I decided to convert a shipping container into a small cafe, and that just skyrocketed the business into destination I wasn't expecting at all. They had in the height of summer sort of nine crossings to Roscoff and two to Santander, and the Pont of can I think take about six hundred cars and two hundred motorbikes. So as people come through the check-in, they're in this small area before boarding the ferries for up to three hours. And of course, I was the only facility there for them to get refreshments. So yeah, that taught me a lot in the first season.
3: A captive market. Yeah, thank you. Funny you've reminded me actually, Kate, you very kindly gave me a voucher when I was going off on a (laughs) motorbike event to have a coffee at your stand. I do appreciate that. So how many outlets do you have now?
2: On the coffee side, we've still got the Piaggio which we use for events, for weddings, for corporate bits and bobs. We've got the one cafe facility in the container down at Mill Bay Dock, but we also do a little bit of mobile coffee and catering as well.
3: Yeah. So tell me about the Dartmoor Cleaning Company and the laundry cupboard. What's the laundry cupboard?
2: One thing has just led to the next and new opportunities have arisen. Whilst Peace and Coffee was growing down at Millbay Bay Dock, our domestic cleaning base was growing as well. I eventually found an increasing number of phenomenally hardworking and reliable individuals. We're now a steady team of 18, mm-hmm. although in the height of the summer, we were up to 24 because the holiday let changeovers just went through the roof post lockdown in July. So with the increased holiday let changeovers came an increased number of inquiries about the laundry too. So I thought, why not? And I bounced that idea off another client who has run her own business for her entire life. And she's become a firm friend. And she gave me the extra nudge I needed. I don't think you ever really grow out of the need for encouragement. But the laundry cupboard was operational by October last year and we now have our own premises at Yelverton Business Park and that previously mentioned friend has just finished building our lovely new website as well where you can book your free deliveries and collection slots online so everything we do is designed to just make your life easier not just add to your to-do list.
3: Well that's the art of any good business isn't it take the pain away people don't actually mind paying you for a service as long as you take the pain away I think people resent when they have to pay for something and it doesn't seem to make their life any easier and like I say you're a serial entrepreneur. If you'd like to feature on a future episode of In Conversation With, send an email to info at freshairstudios.com. So, thinking about that journey, what have been the highest highs and lowest lows on that journey?
2: I don't think it ever feels quite as clear-cut as that. It's not like getting to the top of Everest, taking a few months off before deciding on the next adventure. Mm. It's more like Munro bagging and each peak is a small victory, which is just part of the bigger picture. Mm. All the highs and lows are completely exaggerated and when it's your own business, every emotion is heightened and your perspective can become completely skewed. I think you have to accept that nobody is ever going to love your business as much as you do. That can be difficult to accept. It's a bit like having children, I imagine. Yeah. So somebody telling you to not get so stressed about work, it's like your babysitter telling you to relax while you watch your toddler stick pins in its eyes. Yeah. You know your business is you know, better than anyone. You just want it to be the best it can be. You end up putting a huge amount of pressure on yourself. But the best moments are when you occasionally realize it's actually all worth it in some way you're making a difference to somebody's life even if it's just a small difference but you need to remember that the highs and lows are both transient and you can't make any serious decisions when you're riding either wave.
3: Yes what does the famous poem say if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same and they are imposters because I've said before that the highs are never as high as you think they're going to be and the lows are definitely never as low as you think they're going to be it kind of all pans out the general trajectory is the most important thing.
2: Absolutely as long as you're heading generally in the right direction and you you feel like on the whole you're getting it right, even if you can't do it 100% of the time, then you're at least heading in the right direction.
3: So you've been going a few years now, if you could go back and whisper in your own ear, so if the slightly more experienced Kate could go back to the younger Kate who's still in the Navy and whisper something in her ear, what would you say?
2: It's always easy to say in retrospect, isn't it? But I guess it's not so much what I would say to myself then because I still get that horrible sense of imposter syndrome when I'm at networking events, although I've got A bit more experience to draw upon now. But I imagine that when I'm 60, I'll look back at myself now and go, okay, you're actually not doing too badly. Don't put so much pressure on yourself to be perfect all the time because you just can't. You're always going to be learning. And part of learning is making mistakes, it's just how you get yourself up again and the differences you make from that point onwards but I can go back and give myself advice you know from three years ago I'm probably still going to need that advice now it's always easier giving advice than taking it
3: Absolutely. But I think we talked about the success and failures. Actually, I heard someone say, I've never failed. I've either succeeded or learned a lesson. And I think that's the way to look at it, isn't it? Because you say, you know, you didn't have any experience. Well, do you know, nobody who started a business for the first time has ever had any experience of starting a business for the first time. Exactly. So Absolutely. so you just learn as you go. And that's part of the exciting journey, isn't it?
2: You have to trust your instincts and be decisive and be bold and just work hard and as long as you can do those things then you can have no regrets but that's what my parents taught us as kids and i don't think it's any more complicated than that now
3: no has anyone inspired you on this journey is there anyone you think Oh, I really took their advice or was inspired by what they'd done.
2: You know, it's the people I meet and work with on a daily basis, this pandemic has largely brought out the best in people and have been amazed at how people have adapted and coped. And only last night I actually had a message from one of our clients who's a nurse at Dereford and she just finished a fourteen hour shift wow. and had to be up again in six hours time to homeschool her three boys who were all under the age of ten before doing another night shift. And oh my god. That's insane. But it's Not a one off. This is the life of many people Mm -hmm. at the moment. And I just think it's absolutely incredible how people do it. So you'd think maybe running three businesses is busy. I'm never that busy. And quite frankly, I've only got two excitable spaniels and an equally excitable husband at home. So I've got it pretty easy.
3: Speaking of which, how is Paddy?
2: He's I, I, doing great, I have thank to confess you.
3: to our listeners that I was actually a neighbour of Paddy's when I was about eight, I think, seven, eight, something like that in And Beacon you lived Park.
2: pretty close,
3: yeah. Yeah, what a small world. Do you have an end goal in mind for your business? Do you know where you're taking or your business is?
2: Gosh, I think it would actually be really sad to reach an end state. I think mm. more than ever, we've seen how opportunities can both materialise and be dashed in the blink of an eye. So we've mm. got to be completely fluid to react to the needs of the customer so whilst the world keeps changing whilst people's requirements keep changing there never will be an end goal we've just got to keep adapting so I guess we can just call it an adventure with destination unknown and maybe we'll know when we get there
3: Well, that's what my friend Pete Goss, the sailor, says is the definition of an adventure, is that the outcome's unknown. If the outcome's known, it's not really an adventure, is it? So you've got to enjoy that. And thinking of our business listeners, if you could give one piece of advice to them, what
2: would it be? Just trust your instincts. We all need to nudge. We all need encouragement. We all need that one person who just says, just do it. Mm. The support is out there. I didn't know anybody within the Plymouth business community, the Devon Business Chamber, at all when I first started but if you put yourself out there and believe in your business as well as yourself then people will respect that and it takes time and that's coming from somebody who has absolutely zero patience um, but you've just got to stick with it because there's so much help out there and if you get involved particularly with the chamber events you need to speak to people with the experience whether that's your customers or the team that you have around you use their advice use their experience but always trust your own instincts because at the end of the day it's your business
3: well thank you Kate I can promise people I didn't give you an envelope stuffed with cash to mention the chamber but I'm (laughs) I'm grateful that you did. And thank you for taking time out from your business because, well, business is, because it must be a busy and difficult time. But really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your journey with us. And we wish you every success.
2: Thank you very much. Look forward to our next coffee.
3: Yes, I do too. When we can do it in person. Thanks, Kate Larson.
2: In Conversation With is produced by Fresh Air Studios. Full audio
0: production services for podcasts, live links and corporate communications. Visit freshairstudios.com. Presented by Stuart Elford Produced and engineered by Paul Philpott Edited and mixed by Martin Burgess Moon Production support by Lisa Hartwell Copyright Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce and Fresh Air Studios Limited. All rights reserved.